Well, how you doing today, church? Hallelujah. Man, I'm just still so just incredibly moved by the baptisms that we just witnessed. I mean, it gets me every time. First service, there were six other people that were baptized now in the 11 a.m. service, six more that were baptized. And it's just, oh, this is what it's all about, about people experiencing the life-changing power of Jesus Christ and, and taking that, that step to go public with their faith and doing what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to live in that new life in him. So awesome, so awesome. I'm gonna preach the word in a minute, but I did this in the first service. I feel it's important to be consistent with what we do here, and you know, we had received word uh, just this morning, uh, and maybe you saw something in the news about it, but there's a situation going on in Haiti, and just yesterday, 17 Christians were abducted and there's been an outbreak of persecution of late. Uh, you know, persecution isn't a new thing to happen in Haiti, uh, and it's really taking place all across the world. You know, we are blessed to live in this country. We really are. And uh, I don't need to get on the soapbox to talk about that, but just to recognize that we are one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. And, you know, we have brothers and sisters in the faith that right now, are in a dire circumstance. And so we wanna open up just by taking a moment to pray, and as we pray for them, to remember those others that are being persecuted right now for the name of Jesus. So would you join me in prayer right now? Because I believe in the power of prayer, we believe in the effectiveness of prayer, and that we are united in Christ, and we have a responsibility to, to go to battle through prayer for our brothers and sisters. So come on, let's pray. God, we thank you right now, God, that nothing and no one escapes your sight or your care. God, that you are sovereign and reigning upon your throne, God, with all power and authority. God, we thank you, God, that, that you can do all things. And right now, we're asking you, God, to intervene in this situation in Haiti, Lord God. And, and we ask, God, for your protection, God, for your freedom, God, for, for just hope, God, and peace in the lives of these people that right now don't know what's gonna happen to them and many others, countless others, God, that have experienced the same thing. God, even remembering those that have already lost their lives for the sake of Christ. God, we, we know, God, that, that we will experience trouble in this world, but that we don't have to fear because you've overcome the world. And so right now, God, would you overcome these people, Lord God, with your peace that surpasses all understanding. God, would you give them wisdom from heaven? And God, would you allow this situation, God, to expand your kingdom, Lord, in, in the earth and bring glory and honor to your name, King Jesus. So God, we ask these things in your mighty, awesome name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining me in that. It's so important that we take time to do that. And so today I, I'm excited to be preaching week four of this series called It's Complicated. You know, and in that video that we just saw a few moments ago, I don't know uh, if you've ever reacted that way to somebody saying we need to talk. You know, sometimes those words can, can be a little intimidating depending on who it's coming from or depending on whether, you know, it's things that you know that you might have done or not have done and now you hear those words, we need to talk, uh-oh. And if you're acting or reacting the way that we saw Oliver reacting, you need help. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, we're, we're gonna be talking about this today, the importance of communication. And over the past few weeks, 
we've heard some very inspiring and encouraging messages on, on how to, to do this relationship thing right. And we, we can't escape relationships in life. We can try, but they're all there. We all have family uh, to a certain extent. We all have work relationships. We may or may not have a spouse or friends that you, you get together with regularly. Relationships are a part of life. And so it's something that we need to talk about in church, and, uh, and we're gonna talk about the need for communication today. And so just to give you a little um, preface, I'm gonna spend some time just laying some groundwork before I get to the word. All of what I say does not matter unless it's centered on the word of God. Uh, but I wanna give you a little preface right now that I'm gonna take some time to lay some groundwork before getting into some stories and, and, and truths from the scripture. So just bear with me as we do that today. But the series verse over the past four weeks and will continue. And this is the one thing that we hope we all get from this. If you forget everything else, remember this one thing. In Philippians 2, 5, the Apostle Paul writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so this is an important point. And what we're striving for uh, and hoping for throughout this series that we can do this better as the body of Christ, as GT Church, as individuals that make up this community, and uh, as representatives of Jesus to the world around us. And so that phrase, we need to talk, it's usually prefacing an important conversation that needs to take place, or something unimportant like, can you fill in for Amy? Um, but, you know, I think about confrontation. I think about conflict. I think about critiquing uh, when, when I hear those words. Something that I don't necessarily want to hear um, is about to hit me when somebody says, we need to talk. But simply, when I hear that phrase, I think about just the need for communication. We need to talk. If we don't talk, we can't build relational connections. We can't build any type of meaningful relationship without communication. Now we know that words aren't the only way to communicate, but it really is the primary way in which we've been given to communicate with one another. We know that you can talk with your hands, whether you use American Sign Language or you're Italian-American like me and you talk with your hands, or you know, body language makes up a lot of communication. You can tell a lot about what's going on in the mind of a person. You're, you're with me, Vince, right? You know, you get those arms crossed, you look in a little scowl. That can speak a lot before words are ever said, right? So it's not all of communication, but words are the primary vehicle of communication. And we need that, you know? And it's a part of the fabric of everything that is created. So I want to point out to the first point that I'm going to make is that God is the ultimate communicator. We wouldn't be in communication at all if he didn't decide to create us. And the way that he began creating, it says in Genesis 1 verse 3, the, and this is the creation of the heavens and the earth, it begins with God saying. It says, God said, let there be, and there was. Okay? God said, God said, if, I, I, I challenge you to go and check out Genesis 1 and see just how many times, tally it up, that it says God said, God said, God said. So speech is a part of the creative narrative. Speech is a part of the fabric of everything. You know, we could even try our best to never say a word to anybody, but we can't stop communication. 
because just in the complexity of how our bodies are designed, all that we see and know, in fact, communication is taking place. Your DNA, the way it's communicating in your body, the communication that's going on from your brain to your nerves, all th- communication is a part of everything, and it began with God said. God said. So God is the ultimate communicator. You know, interesting point about that. No matter what you believe about the creation narrative, because there's all kinds of arguments. Ah, oh, that's not history, you know, uh, that's just a way of us you know, figuring out how we relate with God. You know, I don't care, and I'm not here to get into that today, though someday maybe I will, and I'd love to. But the point I'm trying to make is that this is where we see God relating with his creation, okay? And so if you continue to read on in Genesis chapter two, we see that God would regularly come and walk and talk with those that he created in his image and likeness. And so there's something about communication and relationship that is important. But communication can become very complicated, and we know this very well. And in the world in which we live today, now that we have digital communication, it complicates things even more, like getting that text. Ah, what does that say? And for instance, I have my phone up here because my wife could go into labor in any moment. And if she does, I'm out of here, and you guys can go and get some coffee, all right? You think I'm kidding. Eric's ready to preach, I promise you. He's ready. But communication can become complicated very easily. The second point I want to make is that communication is the lifeblood of relationships, of any relationship. Communication is the lifeblood of relationships. And you know, sometimes relationships can suffer from anemia because there is not enough communicating going on or the communication that's taking place is not is not accomplishing much because it's not being done in the right spirit, the right heart, not being received. And so we need to learn how to communicate better, whether in our marriage, friendships, family, you name it. And so there's a, a, a resource that I use when, when I'm journeying with couples in preparation for their wedding day, and we do premarital you know, preparation counseling and things like that. And there's a resource that I use called Saving Your Marriage Before It Starts, a great resource by Drs. Uh, Les and Leslie Parrott. And uh, isn't that a great name for people that are in counseling, Parrott? Parroting, you know, get it? Anyway. I'll move on. Um, so they, their book is built on the premise of asking seven questions, seven questions that people need to ask themselves before and after they're married. And one of the questions, and this hits on the, the need for communication, is this. Can you say what you mean and understand what you hear? Now, this is an important question for all people to ask, not just married couples, that in my relationships with people, can I say what I mean and understand what I hear? Because it's not a given that that's gonna take place, you know? And you could be saying what you think you mean, but the way that you're communicating isn't getting through. And when somebody else is saying something to you, you think you're hearing what they're saying, but you're missing a big part of the picture and their heart behind it. And it can cause a lot of confusion, a lot of conflict, and a lot of animosity in a relationship. And so it's important that we learn how to communicate properly. Can you say what you mean and understand what you hear? You know, my wife and I spent a lot of time in counseling together. I believe in the gift of counseling. It's very uh, a very necessary ministry. I really believe that. And I remember us having sessions where we would have to do active listening and act out in a session. 
you know, things that we need to communicate to one another. And, you know, so sometimes it go across like this, you know, uh, you know, when you do this, I sometimes feel this, and then the other person has to repeat back. So what I hear you saying is that when, you know, and it can feel very awkward and just weird and whatever, and, you know, and here's the thing. It's an important tool, and I believe in that. I think it's important for us to grow and practice at becoming better communicators with one another. But it's just a tool. We can't elevate that. This is the ultimate authority that we have. All right, and so we need to look to the word of God because I believe that it has everything that we need for life and godliness. This teaches, this rebukes, this instructs, and we need it desperately. And when we can get this right, and that is our relationship with God, the ultimate communicator, I believe it translates into all the relationships around us. We sang a song earlier, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I'll put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. Holy, there is no one like you. There's none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your love to those around me. So we need to be filled with his love so that I can flow out to those around us. So we need to get this communication right so that we can get this communication right. You following me, church? So three things I want to point out under this um, idea of communication being the lifeblood of relationships. Communication at its best will build a bridge towards mutual understanding. That's the goal. We just want to be able to understand each other better, okay? You might not land on agreement, but if you can land on understanding, you can still relate well with one another. Again, think about any relationship in your life that might be complicated at the moment, and you can import this idea into that. Communication at its worst can destroy any chance of genuine connection. When I think about relationships and, and communication, I think about a bridge. Because what a bridge does, it connects two landmasses. Two things that were once separated are now connected and become one in a sense because now there's travel that can happen two ways. Connecting what was once separated, once had a barrier, now is fused together by a bridge. And I believe that that bridge is healthy communication. Communication is essential to building and sustaining any relationship. So think about friends, siblings, parents, spouse, children, you name it. It is essential to building and sustaining any relationship, and that is when we get it right. I was asked to preach this message today because I'm the resident expert on this. I'm just kidding. I'm the worst. I've messed up at this so much in my life. And the thing is, is that if God can do a work in me and help me grow, he can help anybody. And, you know, the point is, is that we don't need to be perfect, but we need to surrender. We need to humble ourselves. You know, that series verse that we talked about, Philippians 2, 5, that in our relationships with one another, to have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, well, it goes on to talk about the nature of his humility. So if we want to be like Christ, that means that we humble ourselves and that's the approach that we want to take in our communication with one another. Amos chapter 3 in verse 3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? You know, we can't choose our family members, but we can choose how we're going to relate with them. And then any other relationship in life, we do choose. We agree to it. And so in that, if we're going to 
have a go at relationships with one another, then let us look to the word of God to give us what we need in order to get it right. Amen. I have too much stuff up here. My water's gonna fall off. I'm gonna take a sip, you mind? So what's complicated about communication? Well, first thing I think of is there's always the big risk of being misunderstood. We have to be willing to take that risk. God is willing to take that risk. You know, we live in a time right now where the scriptures are the most contested on its authority. For most of Christian history and church history, it's never been a question as to the authority of God's word. Now, mind you, there have been disagreements as to the interpretation of what's in here, but never to its ultimate authority. And we believe that this is divine, that divinely inspired and God-breathed. We believe that this is his word to us, that everything that we have in the word is because God wanted it there. And there's some things that aren't in here because God didn't want it to be in there. It doesn't need to be in there. And you know, I hear arguments all the time, well, what about the apocryphal books? Oh, what about the lost gospel of Thomas? Well, if God wanted it in there, it would have been in there. But there's heresies in those, and there's things that aren't useful or aren't in line with the teachings of the 12 apostles. And so we know that this is what God wanted us to have. And so in our day and age, this has been the most contested as to its authority. But if God is willing to risk that, he decided, he made the first move to say, I'm gonna give you a way of knowing me, of knowing my will, of knowing how to have relationship with me. Are we gonna use it? Are we gonna trust him or are we gonna look for something else? We're gonna look for a religion that suits us. You know, today, I, it's sad, I even see it among so-called Christians, it's almost like a form of Buddhism where I'm creating my own spirituality that suits the life that I wanna live and my truth. That's not Christianity. That's not what you're gonna find in the word of God. And God risked everything in the way that he communicates with us and we have it all right here. Eugene Peterson, who was a great pastor and theologian, he's most well known for his uh, paraphrase that he wrote of the Bible called The Message. And, and he said this in one of his books. He said, I sometimes marvel that God chose to risk his revelation in the ambiguities of language. If he wanted to make sure that the truth was absolutely clear without any possibility of misunderstanding, he should have revealed his truth by means of mathematics. Mathematics is the most precise, unambiguous language that we have. But then, of course, you can't say, I love you, in algebra, right? Now, I had a very cheeky guy after first service come up to me and say, hey, I Googled it. You can say I love you in math. I get out of here. <laughs> no, he's a friend of mine. I was joking around with him. But anyway, but what a good point. Now, you can think about the complicated math equations that are, exist out there. But language is complicated. It's ambiguous. There's lots of things. You have to search for meaning, find understanding. Relationships get messy. You know, there's a proverb that says, where the trough is empty, uh, no, where, where there are no oxen, the trough is clean. Where there are no oxen, the trough is clean. Meaning that, you know, if there's nothing there to, to eat and slobber on it, it's gonna be clean. But that's not the way that life is. Life gets messy. Relationships get messy. Relationships get complicated. And, and listen, we need to learn how to get this right. And if God is willing to take the risk of being misunderstood, we need to as well. 
And we need to actually actively engage in what's going on here. Ask the hard questions, dig deeper, stay involved in church. Don't further distance yourself from it when you have questions or don't understand things or are questioning your beliefs. Listen, it's okay to do that. There's another popular thing going on out there, this idea of deconstructing your faith. You know, oh, I was always taught to believe this and now I don't know that it's true and so I'm just gonna deconstruct deconstruct and deconstruct and oh yeah, what, what this person has to say, what this philosopher has to say, and then it always inevitably leads to like atheism. Deconstructing your faith, there's no reconstruction that can happen after that. After that. Recon, uh, deconstruction is actually just destruction. And so listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't ask questions. I've done that myself, I'm a church boy. All I've ever known is the house of God. And I've gone through my own journey of searching things out, making big mistakes, running, coming back, justifying sins, all kinds of things. But never did I ever run away to say that this is not God's truth delivered to us. And I think we gotta pray for that. We gotta pray that for our, for our young people, for our children, amen? Because it's getting tough out there. It's getting tough out there but nothing's impossible with God. All right, I'm getting off on a tangent here. It's you guys, I'm gonna blame you, because I'm saying what I mean. I'm kidding. Hallelujah, I love the sound of a baby's cry. It is, it is coming, it is. Hallelujah, can we just pray for me right now, Jesus. We need, to we, need, we need to talk because we need each other. And if God didn't want us to be in relationship with one another, he wouldn't have created people to multiply, to be fruitful and to multiply and increase in number. He wouldn't have done it. We need to talk. We need to communicate healthily, consistently, truthfully, because we need each other. And that's God, God's idea. He said it's not good for man to be alone. Out of all the good that there is, the first thing that God ever said wasn't good wasn't sin. It was for man to be alone. It is not good for man to be alone. So relationships are extremely important and they happen with healthy communication. I was like doing some digging and the word communication and the word community, you know, they have a very similar etymology. And the first communication comes from a word that means to share and community from a word that means to have in common. You know, I think about the basics of any relationship is to, to share what you have in common, right? And so that's a good starting point. No matter what you're facing, can you get back to what you have in common? If right now you feel distance from your spouse and, you know, you can't figure out what happened to the love you once had, maybe get back to the things that you once shared in common and start there and start rebuilding that connection. Whatever it might look like, whatever relationship you find yourself in. It's an important thing. You know, confrontation can be very complicated in relationships. Any type of conflict, nobody, nobody wants that. I mean, if, if you enjoy conflict, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> you know, I don't look for conflict. I don't like it. It's, it's not comfortable. It's not what I enjoy, but it's a part of life. We're all going to find ourselves in situations and circumstances where there is conflict and, and even in communicating boundaries. Boundaries, you know, the most complicated relationships in my life are with my family members. And I've had, in recent years, have had to make some, you know, very hard decisions and communicate some very hard boundaries for the sake of my own household 
that, that were very hard to communicate and continue to be an issue. It impacts every holiday. You know, a lot of us get excited. You know, we're in the fall now. Soon it will be Thanksgiving, and then it'll be Christmas. I don't look forward to as much anymore in terms of the bigger side of things. You know, again, I grew up in an Italian family. I mean, we were all together. They owned the block. You'd go to Grandma's house for Christmas. Everybody would come over, Uncle Louie, hey, Aunt Josie, hey. You know, and it's awesome. Now, it's like, you know what? If I can just be in my family, my household, my wife, my kids, it's okay because it gets a lot more complicated these days with things that I've had to address in my own family. And I'm sure some of you in here today could identify with the same thing. And it's important. You know, I think about a newlywed couple. You might have to communicate some boundaries with the mother-in-law, just saying, or the father-in-law. You know, sometimes parents want to insert themselves into situations with their married children that they shouldn't do. You know, and that's just one example. And sometimes they should do that. That's exactly what they should do. But it's all in how you do it. A few weeks ago, Pastor Scott talked about the importance of how you package something that you need to say. You know, I'm not going to get into the fact that he used an inferior phone package, but that's okay. It's besides the point. It's, it's a good illustration that it's important how we package what we say. And that comes down to our communication. Is it healthy? Is it God-honoring? Is it establishing healthy connection? The third thing I want to make a uh, point of is our communication must reflect the love of Jesus. And it goes in nicely with what I just said. It must reflect the love of Jesus. So in the few moments that we have left here, I know I've kind of taken some time with that, I want to dive into some uh, biblical stories from the Gospels of Jesus where we can see the way that he interacted with some different people. And so I'm going to fly through it a little bit. I, I hope I, I go at a good pace for us, but there's really important truths I think we could walk away with. So our communication must reflect the love of Jesus. So let's look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. The word of God says, And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In a lot of Bibles, maybe your Bible, other translations, it, it has a heading on this that says the rich young ruler. So it tells you a lot about this person that's approaching Jesus. He was rich, had a lot of money, a lot of influence. He was young, he was very ambitious, probably had a big ego, and he had authority. All right, so it tells you a lot about this guy. And he comes to Jesus, what must I do, good teacher, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And let me make a comment about that. Jesus' response there, I believe Jesus is eyeing up this guy, trying to get a feel for what's going on and get to the heart of the matter because Jesus probably knew this man to be young, rich, you know, uh, vigorous in life and have influence in all of these things. And he's saying, okay, now you're calling me good. So you, you must believe that I have greater authority than you. Okay, so that's a good starting point. You know, I, I, I believe Jesus was fully God and fully man in one person. And he is that way for all eternity. So Jesus, we need to look at him in his humanness, how he interacts. And I think, I think he was doing that. Did you ever do that in conversation? Somebody trying to eye up, maybe ask some questions, you know, kind of get a feel for where's this person coming from? I see Jesus doing that. And I think Jesus saw that this guy genuinely believed that Jesus could be the one that others were claiming that he was, the Messiah. Jumping back into verse 19, he then answers this man's question about eternal life and says, well, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man said to him, teacher, all of these I've kept 
from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I could just imagine this man as Jesus is saying, well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. He's like, yep, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. You know, like, sweet, this is gonna happen. It's gonna work out for me. And then, I love what it says about Jesus, and I think that there's something that we can learn from him. Jesus looks at the man after he responds and says, hey, yeah, I've done this all, so, so what's the deal? Can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks at him, loves him, and then he says to him, you know, sometimes we just have to pause long enough to just assess where somebody's at and then love them anyway. Love them, see them for the person that they are, love them, and then say what they need to hear. Because this man was hanging on Jesus' words, hoping to hear what he wanted to hear, but Jesus loved him too much just to tell him what he wanted to hear. Jesus loved him enough to tell him what he needed to hear. And that's good communication right there. And that's good packaging of that communication right there. But unfortunately, this man walked away sorrowful because he had such great wealth. There was the heart issue, the, the root of that. And that's what Jesus always cares about. What's going on in the heart? I wanna get to the heart. And if we have a soft heart, we can grow past whatever it is that's holding us back. But we all have the choice to harden our hearts And unfortunately for this man who also had a great invitation, Jesus said, do this. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. But this this man couldn't do it. But what I observe from this story is that Jesus is approachable. You know, it wasn't difficult for this man to find him. Jesus listens. Jesus hears. There's a big difference between listening and hearing. Do we know that? You know, sometimes I can listen and my wife says, hey, Dan. I say, yeah. And that's all I hear after that. And that's my fault, not her fault. I'm just confessing this morning. Lord, forgive me. (laughs) But there's a big difference between just listening and hearing. Jesus listens, and then he hears. Jesus is loving. Jesus is direct. And Jesus speaks truthfully. All things I believe that we can emulate by the power of the Holy Spirit in our relationships. On to the next story in Luke chapter 10, in verse 38. Now this is at uh, the house of, of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, people that we come to find out are actually very close friends of Jesus. Jesus spent a lot of time hanging out at their house in the village of Bethany. And it says this, now, As they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. He had been there before. She's just having a little party. Jesus is a guest at the party. Verse 39, she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. That tells you a lot about Mary right there in that short sentence. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. Well, who else does that? The disciples. And so it's very... I believe it's an important point in this story to to take note of. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make. So she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? 
tell her to help me. Listen, like so confidently, tell her. She's in the wrong. Tell her to get over here and help me, Jesus. And I believe that Martha was fully expecting Jesus to side with her. I really believe that. I believe that she had a confident expectation that Jesus was gonna validate what she was feeling. But let's listen to what Jesus says. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part, and it will, be, it will not be taken away from her. Boom, hits her with the truth bomb. Hits her with what was going on in her heart. You know, she was distracted, the scripture says. How many times can we be distracted by things? Maybe we don't even know we're distracted, and we just need to take a moment to ask God, man, am I distracted by anything in my life? Remove the distractions from my life, Holy Spirit. You know, we need that. Because sometimes it could be good things. It could be just the busyness of life, taking our kids from this sport event to, to this dance class to, you know, just getting caught up on our things or whatever season of life you're in. We can just get busy with stuff, even good stuff, but it can become a distraction from the one thing. And there's one thing that matters most, Jesus says. And what is it? What did the scripture say Mary was doing? She was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. Okay, we can't physically do that the way that she did. But again, we have God's word. We have prayer. We have the Holy Spirit. And so we can sit in his presence and hear what he says, not just us talking to him, but him talking to us. We did a series earlier this year called Hearing God. You know, this is a good part two to that. We can hear God, but do we allow ourselves to? Or when we do, do we dismiss it? Do we not obey what he has to say? Third story, John chapter 21 and verse 15. This is a man that was an even closer friend of Jesus. So we have an acquaintance. We have a, a good buddy. And now we have one of Jesus' closest friends, his best friend, if you will. And his name's Peter. And it says, uh, and let me just lay a little more groundwork. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has appeared to his disciples in his resurrected body. And, uh, and this one occasion, they're out fishing. They can't catch any fish. Jesus says, cast your net to the other side. They catch so many fish, they can't even bear it all. And then Jesus is having breakfast with them on the beach. Who wouldn't pay all the money in the world to have breakfast with Jesus on the beach? I know I would. I love that about I love to eat. And Jesus loves to eat too. Says it in the word. So it says in verse 15, let me get back. Then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Now we just saw the word love a couple times here. And in the English language, that's all we have is one word. But what Jesus asked Simon Peter was, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you love me with your whole being? Do you love me with a, with a, with a love that's unbreakable? Do you love me with a love that you would sacrifice anything for me? I mean, th that's the depth of the word agape, and we, we can't even dig out all the truth in that word. And Peter's response is, I phileo you the Greek word that refers to brotherly love. 
or a friendship love, where we get the word Philadelphia. And so this, this goes on in the conversation. Jesus, do you agape me? And Peter says, ah, I phileo you. But Jesus still says, feed my lambs. Goes on again, verse 16. Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Now Jesus changes his approach here. Two times he asked Peter, do you agape me? And Peter replies, Lord, you know I phileo you. And he says to feed his sheep, to shepherd his flock. And then the third time, Jesus lowers himself to where Peter's at. If we are to, in our relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, look to his example here. You know, in Philippians chapter two, that scripture goes on to say, though being in very nature God, Jesus didn't consider his equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he lowered himself, he humbled himself to the lowest place of servanthood. And we see Jesus doing this so powerfully with Peter, because, you know, First, in the rich young ruler, we see a guy that was probably had a big ego and was thinking he's gonna get what he wants and, and, and then he's dismayed by Jesus' response. Then we see Martha, who's so confident and sure of herself and self-righteous that she thinks Jesus is gonna side with her and he doesn't side with her. He says, no, you're distracted and your sister is doing the better thing. Now we see with Peter, I think Peter felt so unworthy. I think Peter felt so, you know, just unusable. Why would you even want to be friends with me again, Jesus? I denied you. I denied you three times. And now three times Jesus is asking him, do you love me? And deep down he does love him, but he doesn't think he's worthy to receive the love that Jesus is offering him. And so Jesus doesn't try to pull him up to that. He lowers himself down. All right, let's just start out at friendship. Let's just start out at brotherly love. And then we'll work our way up from there. And we see Peter is sorrowful here. Jesus goes on to say, feed my sheep. I tell you the solemn truth. When you were young, you tied your clothes around you and went wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. Now Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. After he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. In all three of these scenarios, I see this invitation from Jesus. Mark chapter 10, sell all you have. That, that, that's a God in your life, but if you can sell all you have and follow me, you're going to receive what I have for you. With Martha, hey, you're, you're distracted by many things. Yeah, I'm glad that you're preparing a meal for me, but I don't need you to do that right now. Sit at my feet. Listen to what I have to say. Take it to heart. With Peter, hey, I know you feel like you messed up. I know you feel like a failure. I know you feel like you're undeserving and unworthy of the love I'm inviting you into, the relationship I'm inviting you into with me. But if you trust me, if you follow me, you're gonna glorify God with your life. And he still had something hard to tell him. I think it was hard for Peter to hear that love and hard for him to receive it, but I think he does. He absolutely did, it's not even a question. But then Jesus still delivers the hard truth that Peter would go on to die for him. 
And now, when Peter had once said that, pre, pre the cross, he said, I'll die with you. And he said, no, you're gonna deny me three times. And that's exactly what took place. In his fear and his selfishness, trying to save his own skin, he denied the Lord Jesus three times. But now Jesus reinstates him. And Peter went on to give his life for the Lord Jesus. Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, preached the, the gospel message, and 3,000 people were saved. Peter was beaten up and thrown to prison because he was used in the miraculous healing of a man at the gate called Beautiful. Peter didn't let anything stop him from what Jesus called him to do because he had an encounter with that love. He had an encounter with that love. And I believe Jesus is the genuine human. In all of these stories, we need to look at him. Yes, we know that he's fully God, but he's also fully man in one person for all eternity. And in his humanness, he shows us what it means to be truly human. So just what we naturally know by being born and growing up in the world around us and monkey see, monkey do culture is not what it means to be human. Jesus shows us the way of what it means to be truly human. And so when we are new creations in Christ Jesus, this truth is so more powerfully applied that we need to leave off the old self and put on the new and allow us to be renewed day by day by day into the image of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, you know, when it talks about love, it says that we need to speak the truth in love to one another. Another version says we need to practice the truth. I believe both go hand in hand. We need to speak the truth in love, but we need to practice the truth in love. We need to practice speaking the truth in love. You know, back to that active listening thing I talked about earlier. So what I hear you saying is, you know, but to rehearse that, am I practicing loving somebody with my words when it's hard to love them? It's hard. <laughs> you know, they, they've, they've messed up too many times. They've betrayed my trust too many times. But can we, can we have the love of Christ? We need to speak the truth to one another. You know, I see also in John's gospel in chapter one, he says, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So truth is always a companion to these things. Truth is the companion of love. Truth is the companion of grace. A lot of times we're giving people all grace and all love, but never giving them the truth. Therefore, we're never seeing any transformation in their life. You know, and it's good. Grace is good. It's a powerful message. It needs to be preached, but not apart from its companion, which is truth. Love, the, the way that Bible, the Bible defines it, which is agape love, sacrificial love, all in love, at, at its simplest form, to will the good for another. Well, who is the good? Jesus. He says, no one's good except God alone. Well, he's fully God. He's good. To will the good for another. And so what we learn to know, taste and see that the Lord is good. We want to will the good for another. That's loving our neighbor effectively. But if we are not giving them the truth in that love, it's still void of something. You know, and I'm not going to try to tear down any other ministries or preachers, but it's important that we always give people both sides. <laughs> we need to be loving, but we need to be truthful. Not just telling people what they want to hear, but telling people what they need to hear. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can teach us how to do that. 
and is instructing us how to do that, and we have it in his word. We all hold the responsibility to remove the barriers to understanding what we hear. Again, this is a two-way thing. We want to become better communicators, but we want to also become better receivers, (laughs) understanders in that relationship. And so again, we need to get it right with God if we want to effectively get it right with people. Two of the most, you know, uh, I think common barriers or that we could sum up any barrier into these two things, which would be insecurity and pride. Insecurity is a major barrier to understanding, is to having healthy communication. You know, when we're insecure, we might become defensive when somebody has something critical to say, something that we need to hear. If we're filled with pride, we, we, we think too much of ourselves and we don't even believe what somebody's saying to us to be true. And so these two barriers need to be removed by the love, grace, and truth of Jesus Christ. James chapter one, verse 19 says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, let every person, every person, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Putting the importance on listening. Are we good listeners? If we wanna be good communicators, we have to first be good Listeners, remove the barriers of insecurity. Remove the barriers of pride. Receive the love of God, the grace of God, the truth that he speaks into our lives and allow that to affect all of our relationships in life. I read a quote earlier this week that just has stuck with me. It was so powerful. Thinking about, you know, the church world, this is a sphere of life. You know, we know that everywhere that you go is not church relationships. You have relationships with people that aren't Christians. We know that. But when you're in the church, the relationships here are Christian relationships. And as a church, we say it all the time. We exist to reach people and to grow together in Christ Jesus. Well, what is that growing together? That's growing in relationship. Growing in our relationship with Jesus, to grow in relationship with one another, and to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do on this earth in our generation. And so when I think about the body of Christ, this this quote just so powerfully impacted me. Dr. David Campbell said this. He said, the body of Christ is designed to be the most healthy relational network on earth. Just let that sink in for a minute. The body of Christ, Christian community, is designed to be the most healthy relational network on the earth. You know, it's the truth. But sometimes it's hard to believe that that is the truth right now. Now we're all people and we all make mistakes and we all have our own brokenness that we carry. But we need to leave it at the foot of the cross and walk in the newness of life. Walk as those new creations in Christ Jesus so that we can be and continue to be the most healthy relational network on earth. Because he continues and says, and when it works properly, it is a magnificent advertisement for Christ in his kingdom. That's the responsibility that we carry when people find out that you're a Christian. Think about those people in Haiti right now. You know, right now, I, I think that they're like, man, yeah, we're scared, but we know that we're held in the palm of his hand. 
Man, we don't know if we're gonna make it through this, but we know that when we die, we're gonna see the face of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we live with that kind of assurance, when we live with that kind of faith and, and not fearing anything, you know, the Bible tells us not to fear. That's the most command, the most commanded thing throughout all the scripture. Do not fear, fear not, don't be afraid. You're gonna find that more than any other command throughout scripture. Man, and it's only through Jesus that we can encounter that. Sometimes in our relationships, we can become fearful. You know, the fear of being misunderstood, the fear of, I don't know if I have what it takes to keep this going. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is on the brink of falling apart. Listen, you are not too far gone. You're never too lost to be found in grace. And today, I believe that God is working miracles in this place, in your relationships, your wayward children, whatever it might be, God is on the move. And he wants us to get it right. Let's hear him correctly so that we can speak correctly into the lives of those that we love around us. So can you say what you mean and understand what you hear? Jesus gives us another example. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus responds to a question about him performing a miracle in the life of a man, healing a paralytic. He says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only do what I see my father doing. Well, if Jesus can answer that way, and he prayed that we would be one just as he and the father are one, I believe that's the kind of life we should be living. And I'm preaching to myself right now, each and every morning, Father, what are you saying? What are you saying to me? Because he still speaks, and we can still hear if we posture our hearts towards him. Father, what are you doing? Well, we can see what he does in his word. How can I apply this in my life circumstances and situation? How can I apply this in my relationships? So can you say what you mean in prayer and understand what you hear in your relationship with Jesus? More importantly, not just understand it, but obey it. Walk in obedience to his commands. First John says that that's, that's what it means. If we want to live a life in Christ that we need to obey and walk in obedience to the commands of Jesus. I believe actually in 1 John, he says that we need to walk just as Jesus walked. Wow, well that's difficult, thanks a lot. Man, but I believe that we can do it by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So can we say what we mean and understand what we hear in our relationship with Jesus? Because he's still speaking. You know, I love in the book of Revelation, you can read that right now, letters to the churches. You know, he begins in, in chapter one, talking about John specifically addressing some of these churches in a letter, and then it transitions to this vision of what Jesus now is saying to the churches. Revelation chapter two and chapter three, powerful, because Jesus is still the one that walks among the lampstands, which represents the church. And he's still walking and talking and calling us to obedience, calling us to repentance, encouraging us in our persecution, rebuking us in our lack of faith and turning away from our first love. What is he saying to you today? I believe it's also important for us to be praying, God, what are you saying to us as your church? And then what are you saying to me, your faithful follower? Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? I want to just take a moment, a lot of what I've talked about today, now over time, but 
I believe the Holy Spirit's working in this place. A lot of what I talked about today, actually all of which I've talked about today, is contingent upon our relationship status with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today, maybe your relationship with Jesus is complicated. Or maybe you've never entered into relationship with Jesus. You kind of know about him. You kind of are drawn to him in a certain way, but just haven't quite crossed that line into confessing with your mouth that he is your Lord and Savior. Like Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And if that's you today, and you want to give your life to him, don't miss this opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. And so if you're here today and say, man, I need to get my life right with God. I've been doing things my own way, and I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. And you'd like to today. Would you just slip a hand up if that's you? Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Right down here in the front. Hallelujah. Man, before we even pray, can we just celebrate that response right there? Jesus, we thank you, Lord. And together right now, we want to pray a prayer. Can we just close our eyes and bow our heads one more time and just pray this together? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and for dying in my place. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving my sins and for making a way to God. Thank you for your death but mostly thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your invitation to me today to follow you. I say yes. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate? Can we celebrate? Hallelujah. In all of these situations, Jesus always has that invitation follow me, follow me. And it all starts with following Jesus. We're going to get things right. I'd like to pray for you today before we go. The team's going to go back into a song, but let me just pray the Lord's blessing upon you. God, I thank you for each and every person here today. God, you know each and every life, each and every household, each and every circumstance. God, you see our hearts. There's nothing hidden from your sight. And Father, I pray that you would just minister what needs to be ministered today, Lord God, whether that's peace wisdom from heaven. Lord God, healing in, in a broken relationship. God, we believe you for it today because we believe that there is nothing impossible for you. God, I pray that you would help us uh, to hear your voice better. Lord God, to be more transformed by your love and grace and truth in us so that we can let it flow to those around us. God, we want to be better communicators. We want to be better hearers. God, we want to be people of understanding and compassion. Would you help us to be that way, Lord? Would you let your grace and your peace rest upon your people today, Lord God? Meet every need according to your riches and glory. Lord God, may your smile be upon them. God, would you grant them peace in Jesus' Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Come on, yeah, give him praise.